0: this morning comes from Psalm 19 and if you'd like to read along with me there's a bible in under one of the chairs in front of you and it's the english standard version and then if you'd please stand for the reading of the word of god hear the word of the lord
1: Thank you. You can just take that mic and put it on the chair right down there. Well, thank you, Noel, for reading this morning. Would you pray with me? Well, Father God, we are so unspeakably grateful for your word, Lord, that you've not left us floundering around, wandering about on this planet, having to wonder what shall we do? How shall we live? Why are we here? And what's required of us? Lord, you have spoken a true and living word to us. And it is our expectation every time we open it, Lord, that you by your spirit will make it Come alive to us, that you will speak to us through it. Lord, my sense is this morning that you want us to lift our eyes up off of our concerns, our preoccupations, our affections and interests, fears and worries of this world, and to lift our eyes up to you and all your glory and majesty. God, would you use this word today to help us to do that. And so I ask, Lord, as always, that you would speak your word by your spirit through your servant and to your people for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the title of this morning's message, as you may have seen, is God is Speaking. Are you listening? All of us uh, know what it's like for someone to be talking and for the intended hearer not to be listening. And probably all of us have been on both sides of that transaction before. We've been the one talking, wishing the other person or persons would listen. We've been the ones who should be listening and yet aren't. Some of us have spent... (coughs) More time on one side of that equation than others, perhaps. You've you, you, uh, probably heard someone say they didn't teach us that uh, back when we were in school. You've heard that expression. I saw a, a, a post online recently that said, Yes, they did teach us that when we were in school. You were just talking. We might also picture a family driving down the highway. Maybe you've lived this one to one in one way or another as well, but a family driving down the highway. Dad is trying to talk to the kids in the back seat, but they're fussing with each other. And meanwhile, they have their earbuds in anyway, listening to music or something else. They're listening to the the background music of the game they're playing, they're watching a movie, songs, whatever it is, and they've got earbuds in, they're fussing with each other, and dad's voice just becomes background noise to the things they're really listening to. Well, as you know, culturally, there's a lot of noise that we live among. Lots of voices speaking all the time. There are people Speaking in the public square, including us, or, or writing what it is we're speaking, so kind of more in a figurative sense, but speaking all the time about various issues. And we tend to speak with them authoritatively. In other words, we, we, this is how it ought to be. And by the way, you ought to know this is how it ought to be. And get yourself in line with it. We speak about issues that way, authoritatively. And so if you were to scroll uh, through any social media platform, uh, even right, I was going to say even right now, but don't do it right now. But if you were even, even immediately after the service, during lunch, if you were to do that, you would probably in no time at all see a series of posts that speak to questions such as how ought we to care for the poor and needy? What's our obligation in that regard. What are the freedoms and or limits governing issues of sexuality and gender? What are our obligations concerning environmental care? What is our moral responsibility toward the immigrant, particularly in recent news, the immigrant children? And again, we tend to answer these questions with a voice of authority, which means whether we're conscious of it or not, we have previously listened to a voice of higher authority. In other words, that we, that we believe, whether it's the voice of culture, whether it's the voice of uh, the Bible, God's voice in the scriptures, or uh, people of other religions who who've listened to the voice, so to speak, of other sacred texts, whether it's just the voice inside their head, their inner voice that they have come to trust maybe more than they ought. But we listen to some other voice that presumably speaks with authority, and then we in turn speak authoritatively to the issue. As if other people um, ought to, if they don't believe it, they ought to come to believe it and then get in line, so to speak. We listen intently to certain voices of authority, while at the same time, there's a lot of other, there are just lots of other voices creating background noise. And into all that noisy scene, God is speaking. Are we listening? that's the question. Do we only hear his words when they confirm what we already think? Do you realize how often we believers have selective hearing? We hear the things, the, the, the words of God, either spoken in sermons, read in devotionals, even portions of the scripture, we hear the things that affirm what we already believe, tend to miss the things that might challenge us. Do we only hear the words that confirm what we already think? Do we only listen to the words that are about us? Or do we hear the message that he intends to hear for us? He is speaking Are we listening? And Psalm 19 addresses that subject. So I want to observe here this morning uh, three facts about the voice of God. Number one, that God's voice speaks to all people through creation. Number two, that God's voice speaks with precise clarity in the scriptures. And number three, God's voice demands... Our humble response. So first, let's look at the fact that God's voice speaks to all people through creation. And you saw there in verse 1, and you probably, if you've been a student of the Bible for any length of time, you know at least that verse of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens declare the sky above proclaims. Creation has something to say, something it is saying to us. As if serving as the herald for the king, the town crier who goes out and announces to subjects a message Creation has something to say. And it is not just a whisper or just a passing comment. Verse 2 says, day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. Day and night. And day to day it says it's pouring out Speech. If you're reading the King James version, it just says "utters," which is an acceptable translation of the word. That Hebrew word, pours, that's translated "pours forth" in the ESV, uh, which I think is maybe rendered something similar in the uh, New American Standard NIV. But that word is sometimes used to refer to springing up, or bubbling up, or gushing. And so the 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 imagery is that there's 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 no shortage of. Words, so to speak, that creation is speaking. There's, there's no, uh, there, there's, there, there's never a time where we're left going. Wait, what did he say? Something? What did he say? Some of us in school had that experience more than others when we were the one talking while the teacher was talking very regularly. Wait, what did she say? That just sounded like I missed something important. There's never that moment. In other words. Regarding what creation is saying about God, because it's gushing forth day to day and night to night. Night to night reveals knowledge. Have you ever thought about the things that we know about the cosmos, space, uh, stars, planets, constellations, and so forth? The things that we know only because it gets dark every day, every night. That we, we've inquired into <laughs> uh, a study of outer space because nightfall reveals the fact that there's something out there that we don't see during the day by and large, right? We, we see the sun, of course. We see the moon sometimes during the day. We mostly don't see other stars and planets, but God has made it so that day to day pours forth speech, night to night reveals knowledge. And there's a constant flow of communication to all the world. Did you notice this? Verse four says their voice or their measuring line goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. And then it elaborates that that as a sort of a featured player in this god's drama of creation the sun specifically makes this daily appearance he says it, he's put a tent in creation for the sun and the sun comes out each day like a bridegroom rejoicing presumably on his way to go retrieve his bride but But the sun comes out every day, travels from one end of the heavens to the other. And it says there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now all of that is referred uh, in in theological circles to general revelation. We call that general revelation in the sense that God's revealed himself generally to all of humankind. And and the implications of this are, are probably manyfold. I'll I'll uh, I'll mention two things, two implications of this. But first of all, that since the glory of since God's glory has been made known to everyone in the world, the rebellion of unbelievers against God is solely their responsibility. And this is we've we've visited this before, but Romans one verse eighteen and and following addresses this subject. Uh, verse 20 in particular says that since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes have been clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. These heavens that are declaring the glory of God, they've been un- his attributes have been clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that men are without excuse. Men who have, had this truth revealed and yet suppressed the truth in their unrighteousness. Romans 1 says, They're without excuse before God because the sun rises from one end of the heavens to the other. There is nothing hidden from its heat, and all of creation is gushing forth with testimony about God all the time. That's one of the implications. But this is not written, of course, primarily to the unbelieving world. This is written to the people of God, as the other Psalms are. And the message for us would be that that while creation itself is not to be worshipped, creation ought to inspire worship of the Creator. And you know, as well as I do, we just live a, a kind of lifestyle now where we, we just momentarily, we like briefly pass through the natural world, right? Uh, from a building to our car and uh, from a car back to another building. Uh, we, 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 can, we, can, we can go a lot of time without even noticing um, anything in creation. We're sort of immersed in the things that we've created as mankind, but it ought to inspire us to worship the Creator. It is testifying of him all the time. Listen, he is speaking. Are you listening, or is the noise just too noisy? and so the the, the urging to us would be to pause and notice, perhaps notice just in in the natural world the things that testify to his glory and majesty and power they're there consider the the vastness of the universe uh the how well ordered it is i think consider the fact that he just spoke it into creation you know i don't i don't suppose it, it that we could say uh, that, you know, that we could uh, ascribe something to God like sneezing, but, but it's cre- God could have sneezed creation is my point. Like it's just, it's just that, you know, that easy for him. He just spoke and it was done. And he commands and it stands fast, snaps to attention. Reflect on his goodness in the the sustenance he provides for us in creation. Again, this is something you're uh, probably conscious of from time to time, but we we live life so removed from um, the earth that provides our food I mean, most of us, we don't have to to labor, right, to harvest our own food. We don't raise our own livestock and that kind of thing. Some of you do, uh, perhaps, recreationally. Uh, Your life probably doesn't depend on it. But um, most of us live distanced from that in such a way that we forget that God is gracious to us, that God is good to us to provide all of that, that he does shine sunlight in just the right amounts in places where that can grow, that he waters the earth that produces vegetation for food and so forth. Reflect on his goodness in that way. Consider his kindness in creating things that are beautiful and pleasant. And think about, you know, the sun could just... Set, right? Like he could have just made it so the sun rises and the sun sets. But very often, when the sun sets, it is stunningly beautiful. What a gift that is. Have you ever just stopped to consider that? Just the kindness of God in creating things that are just beautiful and pleasant inherently. The beauty of a sunset, the fragrance of flowers the juiciness of watermelon some of you have enjoyed this week. (laughs) Which could for some, I suppose, also be sustenance for most of us. It's just pure pleasure. But make time to pause and listen to what creation declares about our great and glorious God and give him thanksgiving and praise because He's speaking to all people through creation. Number two, God's voice speaks with precise clarity in the scriptures. Verses seven through nine uh, speak to this subject and, and it unveils the nature of the scriptures with six nouns six adjectives and five verbs. Now, if I were teaching in a Bible study class, I would, I would have us identify them and call them out. We're not gonna do that uh, here today, but he, he, he gives six nouns, six adjectives and five verbs actually uh, that unveil something about the nature of the scripture. So he calls it um, in verse seven, law and testimony. He calls in verse eight, precepts and commandment and verse nine, fear And rules. I found that particularly intriguing. I've even memorized Psalm 19 at one time in the past, and that never struck me the way that it did this week. That is, he's describing the scriptures, law, testimony, precepts, commandment, and rules. He also adds fear. Of course, it revives the soul, it makes wise, assemble, uh, simple, it rejoices the heart, it enlightens the eyes, and it endures forever. There are those who, who come in any given uh, Sunday in it and meet any given day with the need for their soul to be revived, who, with a need for wisdom, uh, w- with a, a need to recover a sense of joy in their heart to have their understanding light enlightened about something and to be able to have confidence in something that actually endures forever. You know, speaking of the voice of culture, if you were to, it's, it's almost as if if you were to go on vacation and come back, you would almost have missed some moral shift somewhere where the, the 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 rules have changed, so to speak, for what we're supposed to believe and value, and if you don't, um, everybody's going to be outraged that you don't or whatever the the The, the shift um, in sort of the mind of the culture has happened rapidly over the last ten or so years. It's of course, it's been shifting forever. <laughs> uh, it's been particularly rapid recently. But the point is, against that, there is a word that endures. Forever, but I want to highlight even more the adjectives because I I think we're helped by those here and particularly helped by dividing them into, into two groups. If you notice the things it says about the law of the Lord and the testimony and commandments and so forth, that on one hand, the word of God is sure, right, and true, it is sure. It is right and it is true. And then it also says that it's perfect, clean, and pure. It's sure, right, and true. It's perfect, clean, and pure. Now, as many times is the case, uh, the risk for us as Christians is to know all of this sort of in our head and therefore to think we don't need to hear it because we went to Sunday school for a long time. We answered those questions way back a long time ago. We knew all those things were true about the Bible. But again, you'll notice that people speak all the time as if they're sure about certain things, that their position is right. Sometimes they, they think, uh, as I said, you should know that it's right and you should bring yourself in line with it. I just want to, to underscore here there to, to sort of disrupt our assumptions. I've said this uh, sometime back before, but Christians, evangelical Christians, this, is, this has been my own observation. We should put this in parentheses or a footnote. This is not as if this is the word of God. My observation has been evangelical Christians, though we profess that the Bible is all these things that I just said, We don't always believe it, or I should say, uh, much of what we we uh, make as a, set as a, as the foundation of our belief and our living. Much of the, uh, much of the the values and convictions or whatever that fuel our public discourse do not come from the Bible that we've farmed them from other places, imported them. We found Bible verses to sort of match up with it that, that, that justify it. But we, in many ways, even though we know this is true about the Bible, our thinking is not always shaped by the Bible. It is also shaped by other voices. Now that's my contention. It's one of the reasons I believe we really need to hear a message that we think we already know. We need to ground our way of thinking in something that is sure and right and true and also what is perfect, clean, and pure. This one struck me, again, in in a way I I think I haven't been struck as I've I've read this chapter before. But living just sort of in the public domain Right now, there is not much that is perfect, clean, or pure. Uh, rather, there is much and much that we are engaged in that is corrupt and filthy and defiled. And we ought not to call it anything other than corrupt. And filthy and defiled. We ought not to justify it on some other grounds that the ends justify the means. It is corrupt and it's filthy and defiled if God calls it that. But his word is perfect and clean and pure. And so we, we need for our thinking and our affections to be transformed by that. And so how do we do that? Well, a a Christian author named Barbara Hughes said, you can never have a Christian mind without regular reading of the scriptures and serious Bible study. Why is this? Because you cannot be profoundly influenced by what you don't know. You cannot be profoundly influenced by what you don't know. So, if you've not already developed the habit of reading the Bible regularly, begin doing so now. I mean, just today is a good day to start. If if today you've got too many things planned already, uh, begin tomorrow. But if you don't have a, a, a plan, some sort of disciplined, scheduled habit of reading the Bible, begin one immediately. Read it more than you read forwarded emails. More than you read online news articles, uh, and I would say supplement your Bible reading with the writings of great thinkers who are dead <laughs> uh, and uh, many of whom who were not american okay and the and the point being uh, read from people who take you outside of your 2019, Wilmington, North Carolina, USA. Context, okay? Because we're all hearing the same background noise, right? We're all we're, we're all traveling at this frenzied pace, uh, hearing everything that 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 um, obscures our understanding of what we need to understand, and so forth. If we can occasionally listen to somebody who has lived outside. Of that context and how they understand the scriptures, how they understand the nature of God, our relation to Him, our response to Him, and so forth. Uh, we are helped by that. As I said, develop some scheduled, disciplined approach to studying and then let the Word of God uh, shape the way you think. God speaks with precise clarity in the scriptures about all the big questions of life, like the ones I referred to earlier, about how we ought to think and live. But as I said, we, uh, we can read it selectively, harvest the things that undergird what we um, already believe, and that sim- simply affirm the way of living we, uh, we want to embrace and that we want other people to embrace along with us. Well, we need to find a way to turn the background noise way down and listen intently to the voice of God in the scriptures. I mean, if you could imagine the sort of hypothetical scenario of traveling uh, to the other side of the world, to some secluded place where you lived just among a small community of, uh, of believers and devoted yourself to study of the scriptures, to the writings of the great thinkers of, the, of, the, of church history and to prayer and then working living, and living together in community. I'm pretty much describing the, the life of a monk. I'm not saying, by the way, I'm suggesting that you go do that. I'm just saying, if you can imagine the scenario of pulling, of pulling yourself totally out of your, your context and devoting yourself to the study of scripture and prayer. Do you really believe that when you came back, you would think all the same ways that you think about things right now? Do you think you'd be concerned in the same way about all the same things, almost certainly not. And so the point is, because we can't travel around uh, to the other side of the world, most of us, and spend two years in seclusion, um, then then whatever we can do to turn down the background noise and to listen intently to the voice of God and really let it change the way we think, it will therefore change the way we live. I'll conclude with uh, point number three quickly here, and that is that God's voice demands our humble response. If you look uh, in verses 12 and 14, you get this response from David that that suggests the person who comes to understand the fact that the word of God is sure and it is pure, uh, that as he says in verse 11, that by them your servant is warned. When we come to understand that, It demands a response like David offers. Verse 12 says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Now, I love this because this is David who has a a heart after God's own, is a man after God's own heart, right? But he's basically saying, oh, Lord, I need grace. Grace. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. There are things I'm guilty of. I don't even know I'm guilty of. This is what he's saying hidden faults. Things flawed in me I don't even know about. Lord, declare me innocent from those. Well, on what basis would God declare you innocent from those or declare me innocent from those? Only by his grace. Only by his grace. And then he goes on to say, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Don't just declare me innocent from the the faults that I don't even know I have. Keep me back from the presumptuous sins or the NIV says willful sins. Lord, keep me from committing the sins that I choose to commit. Because I not only need your grace to cover the things I don't even know about, I need your grace to keep me from my doggone self. Throwing things down in front of us, in front of me and then say, oops, I tripped. Causing myself to stumble. Lord, keep me back from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then this other verse that you probably know from, from uh, chapter 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If we've really, if we've really heard his voice, if we, had, if we have discerned a sense of his glory and majesty through the voice of creation, if we have, if we have understood his perfection and truth and righteousness, and purity and cleanness. This is the only way to respond. Oh God, forgive me for what's in me. Forgive me for what comes out of me. Lord, make me more like yourself, more like you want me to be, lest I stumble over my own presumptuous sins. And of course, that leads right to the gospel, right? That that is why God, from the fall of man, set about to enact a plan to save man from his sin. Because all of man, including you and I, are in that same condition. And that he must provide a way for us to be forgiven, for a, a way for us to become more holy, more like Himself. And of course he has done that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But God is speaking. God is speaking, it's gushing forth. And are we listening? Because what happens when the voice of God becomes the background noise? Because we're listening so intently to all of the other voices around us, clamoring about by whatever they're saying. Would God just turn the volume down for us on every other voice but his and change us by that encounter? Let's pray together. Lord, we acknowledge freely um, that we are people like David Unable to discern our own errors, there are things inside of us twisted, broken, skewed, even corrupt and filthy and vile. Lord, things that are hidden from us that we can't even discern. And perhaps worse than that for us is the admission, Lord, that there are things we do know about ourselves, Lord, that we willfully go our own way, that we willfully violate your statutes and rules and commandments, that we don't listen to your testimony, So God, we acknowledge all that before you today. And I pray even especially for any here today who are really coming to understand that fact for the first time in a way they haven't before. That they, like every man, have sinned. That they fall short of your glory. That they have heard the testimony of your glory, even if only in creation. Uh, They've been near enough to the life of the church to maybe have been within earshot of the gospel before, maybe, maybe not. But Lord, I just pray by your grace that you would bring them even in this moment to the place of just saying Lord I am sorry forgive me for what I've not seen in myself forgive me also for those things I have seen and have willfully done and make me clean by the blood of Jesus Lord would you lead them to the freedom that is found in pledging themselves to be servants of the God most high through the grace of Jesus. And Lord, would you attune all of our ears to your voice and just deaden our affection even for the things of this world and all the voices that speak from it that we might delight ourselves in you. Lord, there's work for you to do in our hearts, God, but you do it by your spirit as each one has need. In Jesus' name, amen.